0: about how we are to live in this world God so loves. I wonder when the questions changed for you, it happens to all of us in this life of faith. In the beginning, whether it's as a child or as a curious adult who is eager to know what this faith business is all about, it's so easy to get caught up in the stories of scripture. Asking questions of wonder and fascination, like a child reading a fairy tale. Every story seems new and grand, and with each question, you get a little bit more familiar with the castle that holds all these incredible stories, a little more familiar with the characters who wander the halls. But at some point, the wonder wears off, and the questions change. Maybe the questions come when you're a young adult and you crack open the Bible again and you wonder why in the world your parents would have ever willingly read you a bedtime story about Noah and the violent destruction of humanity, or Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, which is a story of genocide, or Queen Queen Esther's castle, which holds a harem full of concubines, none of which seem like suitable bedtime stories for children. Or maybe the questions came for you one Easter Sunday when you sat in the pews and wondered if you could honestly say the words, I believe in the resurrection of the body. What does that even mean? Or when you came to the communion table and thought about how weird it is that we say these words that a loaf of bread and a cup of juice are somehow the body and the blood of Christ. At some point in the life of faith, the questions are no longer questions of wonder, no longer questions where we're getting to know the cast of characters so that we can tell the stories on our own. And instead, they're questions of fact. How could it be true? Is faith nothing more than a fool's errand? Sometimes the result of those questions lead to black and white answers. Maybe you've had conversations with folks who can do some remarkable mental gymnastics to prove that the Bible is factually true and without error. I grew up in the South where it was so common to see bumper stickers that read something along the lines of the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's how I knew that they'd never read the Bible. Because anyone who spends any time with the Bible knows that it's full of contradictions. It is not simple. It is full of texts that make us wonder what we believe or how we can affirm the life-giving truth of harsh words. Nothing about reading the Bible is simple, which sometimes makes it feel like it is a puzzle for us to solve. And faith is somehow the prize for scavenging the answers. And so this summer, we're going to explore a variety of texts in the Bible. Texts that we might prefer to ignore. Or texts that we may not want to ask questions about for fear of losing our faith. Or texts that we've just come to accept instead of asking hard questions. We're going to spend our summer practicing what Mary Marcotte calls Holy curiosity, approaching texts with wonder, and a willingness to wrestle, trusting that we will find something new of God in the process. As theologian Peter N. says, What if the Bible is fine, just the way it is, not the well-behaved, everything-is-in-order version we create, but the messy, troubling, weird, and ancient Bible that we actually have? What if practicing holy curiosity frees us up to love the Bible for what it is and not what we want it to be? So that's what we're going to do together over these next 12 weeks. And what better place to start than the very beginning? Because you could easily read the first words of Genesis and shut the Bible all together, not wanting to wrestle with the words that that story holds. You know this story. It's a story that gets told a lot, but it is a story that we rarely read in its entirety in church. And so I hope that you will listen with fresh ears and bear with me, even though it's long. But before we turn to the words of Genesis, let's pray. Oh God, hover here. Hover here just as you hovered over the waters of creation creating something beautiful out of the darkness and the chaos and the void. Hover here. Create something beautiful among us. Stir our hearts to know something new of you in these ancient words. Amen. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, The earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night, and there was evening, and there was morning that first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, God called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See? And there was evening, and there was morning that sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that God had done. And God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Life begins with stories. Ask your parents to tell you about who you are, and chances are they won't recite your social security number or whip out a birth certificate. Chances are they will tell you a story. Maybe a story of your grandparents or great-grandparents immigrating to the United States because they believe that the future could be better for their children. Maybe they'll tell you the story of the untimely death of a parent, which led to their work ethic. Maybe they'll tell you the history of your name, which can be traced back generations. Or maybe they tell you a story about the community in which you were raised and how those people impacted the course of your life. Stories are how we learn who we are. Stories are how we learn where we're from, not just as individuals, but as communities and companies and churches too. Americans love an origin story about a company. For those of you who are working in corporate America, how quickly did you learn the story of the company you work for? Did they share it with you as part of the interview process? Or was it something that trickled out in the course of meetings as you made sense of the values that seemed to be dominating the decision-making of the day? We love origin stories. Netflix knows this. Maybe you've watched We Crash recently, like I have. Stories of how things came to be make for great television. Stories about how we began aren't uniform in details or values, but they are uniform in purpose. Stories about our beginnings are meant to teach us what matters. What we are to value in this world. And they are meant to remind us that we belong to a story that started long before we were ever in the picture. And that's true of Scripture, too. Scripture begins with a story meant to teach us what matters. And to remind us that this story started long, long ago and will last long after all of us are gone. This story, the one that we just read, is the one that helps us make sense of everything that comes after it. Unfortunately, this story has been the source of tension between religion and science, as if our world is only capable of holding one truth, as if one subject must have the final say. Some would say science and religion have been battling for centuries, and science wins every round. You know this tension. I'm sure you've experienced it before. It started so long ago, when Galileo came to believe that the sun was the center of the universe and not the earth, church folks got really angry. The Bible says that the sun moves, not the earth, they claimed. And so the Catholic Church banned all books that suggested that the earth move at all because it created uncomfortable conflict with Scripture for them. Unless you think that our Catholic brothers and sisters were the only ones doing mental gymnastics to be sure that the Bible was factually true, let me assure you, that we were on the same side as the Catholics. This is probably the only thing that Protestants and Catholics agreed on during the Reformation. We were all united in our disdain for Galileo and Copernicus and all of their wisdom about God's good world. And those fights continue still they just are wearing different costumes. Local school boards have been fighting about what children can be taught my whole life. Evolution or creation science? And I just want to say creation science is not science. We've tried to make it that. But the Bible is not telling a story of science. But still we argue, what do we teach our children? Religion or science? As if there's only room for one. It's easy to see how tension pops up. Of course, evolution theory and Genesis are in tension. But we can't expect that these ancient words of scripture can answer the questions generated by our modern worldview. Science and religion ask fundamentally different questions. Science asks how we got here. Religion asks why we're here. There will always be tension. They're not seeking the same answers why are we here that's what this story is answering and what a great answer we've got in these first pages of our holy text these words come at the beginning of the bible but so many people are surprised to know they are not the first words written in the bible we shouldn't associate the orders of the biblical books with the historical timeline these words of genesis came at a moment of crisis These are the words of a community that was having a profound crisis of faith. The Israelites had at one time been a prosperous people. They had a king and a grand temple and so much land, all of which they believed was God's way of blessing them and ensuring their prosperity for generations to come. But in the 6th century B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, destroying the city and the temple, Many of the Jews who lived there were taken captive and forced into slavery to do work for the empire. Some Israelites remained in Jerusalem, but life was barren. No place of worship, no national identity. You can imagine how quickly they came to question everything they thought they knew about themselves, about their lives, about their God. They wondered if there was a sin they'd committed which made God do this to them. Others wondered if God had just left them completely. Priests wondered how they could do rituals and sacrifices without a temple or an altar. And parents worried that their children would grow enamored by the wealth and power of Babylon and forget their own people's most cherished values. And so they returned to their stories to make sense of their world. They do what we do. Isn't that what we do in times of crisis? When the world is chaotic and dark, we return to our stories to make sense of our world. We try to remember who we are when we risk so easily forgetting. Where is our God? A distressed child asks his mother at bedtime. And so she begins to tell him the story. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. She goes on with the most amazing, life-saving story of the very beginning, where there was nothing but darkness and chaos, and God was still there. Friends, this is a story of hope for people who had given up, for people who had been consumed by darkness. This is not scientific theory. It is a proclamation expressing bold, new, and revolutionary theological affirmations. This is a story about why we should keep on trusting God when it seems like there aren't very many reasons to do so. This was radical for the exiles who told this as a bedtime story years ago. No one believed that creation was good. No one believed that life was good. Experience had taught them that life was mean, short, full of injustice, suffering, death. These were people who believed that goodness was somewhere and something else not for them. And no one believed that humans were responsible agents. They knew humans to be insignificant, unimportant, living and dying at the whim of God's. But this story tells a different truth. That God is the creator. That the world belongs to God and that we have been given the responsibility to care for it. Because the creator is counting on us. And this whole project is good. The world is surging with the mystery of God. How sad to miss that truth when we get distracted by the noise that tells us that science and religion can't exist together. How sad to miss out on the glory and hopefulness of what we believe. That this is God's world and it is good. That you are made in the image of God and you are good. How sad to miss the music and the poetry and the laughter of God's good creation because we're bent on explaining it instead of enjoying it, a creation full of surprising grace. Friends, our lives all begin with this truth. Should all other identities or securities be thrown into tumult, should nations be fractured and temples torn down, this truth remains, God is with us and God is for us. Our lives all begin in the same place. It's a story as true as it it is now as it was then. I wonder what would change for us. I wonder what would change for this community. I wonder what would change for our world if we grounded ourselves in this truth. We're not here to produce. We're not here to accumulate or achieve. We can do those things fine, but that's not why we were created. We are here to enjoy God's good creation. And if we let ourselves be rooted in that truth, that God is with us and God is for us, we might just find what the Israelites found all those years ago when it felt like there was no hope to be had. That our faith begins with a life-giving and a life-saving truth for all of us. That God is with us and for us, and will not let us go. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.